Do you remember? Hello. Good afternoon. Oh, I was doing your mic. That's why I couldn't hear myself. Oh, thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Radio Worm Goes to Rewire Festival Part 2. Part two. <laughs> quite an introductory, quite a title. Because three hours wasn't enough. No, we're back. Yeah. So for those of you who didn't listen to the previous show, we're Chola and Ash, and we went to Rewire Festival in Den Haag a few couple of weekends ago now. Um, and we had the pleasure of reporting and documenting the festival and we've been doing we did a radio show through our radio show on the monday after the festival but as ash just said we had more than that to share so we're coming back for part two we're throwing away all of the usual journalistic discipline of trying yeah. to <laughs> condense things down into the shortest most informative possible form yeah and instead um just giving some nice impressions of the people we spoke to the music that we heard the chats that we had in between and do it like kind of take you to the festival the way that we were there yeah so as you're hearing now, this is Kex and Howe's workout. Um, this the is music sound of it, but it was actually taking place in um, Amare, the venue. And this was a highlight, I think, and yeah. you'll hear us catching up about it directly after, so maybe we don't say too much about it right now, but we are listening to uh, the work, and it's called Future Dance of Nostalgia. Yeah, it was really, really fun and really good. It was great. Yeah. Um... What else do we want to say? What have you have you been, Ash? Have you been since oh, Rewire? It feels like a million years ago. I know it does actually. It was like two and a half weeks. No, two weeks ago. We left two weeks ago on the Sunday. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you at festivals since then. <laughs> I saw you on those shall not be named. <laughs> I saw you on Friday night with a piece of paper with uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> timetable circled. Very familiar. Yeah, we bumped into each other in Rotterdam, and um, it felt very familiar. Kind of the at Rewire, Ash and I were both very good at circling or highlighting the things that we wanted to go. And then I kind of did that again for a festival this weekend, and uh, yeah, bumped into Ash, and she was laughing at me. <laughs> Had to get out the fake microphone to ask you how it was going um and how was it actually it was really nice yeah it was, it was at a festival in rotterdam called motel mosaic um which is similar to rewire that it's um different venues host different gigs and you kind of walk around the city and there's stuff outside and there was stuff in the theater rotterdam and stuff at worm which was really fun i was actually at worm till 5 30 this morning so yeah you know good to be back <laughs> doing very well it was so much fun though really good dancing like my body is aching but in a really good way ah, yeah. that's kind of what we didn't really get at rewire except for during kexon's performance true true actually yeah. no but yeah it was really good and i yeah i feel i've still listened to so many bands that i heard at rewire keep, keep on listening to their albums and stuff um, which is really nice, especially Tatarolena. Mm-hmm. Like, I've listened to that album on repeat now, and I really want to get the vinyl. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. I had a really beautiful time this morning listening back to the whole set of Mabe Frati. Oh. Who I, we tried really hard to set up an interview, but Mabe's on the road right uh, now, okay. and I've been running around in the last two weeks, and we never found a moment. So, Mabe, I'm so sorry we didn't mm. get to chat. We, it will happen again. Um, Mabi's been a guest here, a resident at Worm, um, mm. some time ago, and did a really fantastic performance with the Resistor Group. At Rewire? Uh, or oh, no, here at Worm. Worm. Oh, cool. Um, must have been sometime last year, so we'll see if I can dig that out of the archive to play oh, on the radio nice. sometime. Um, and before the end of the show, we're going to go till five o'clock tonight. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you what other festivals you're going to this summer, but uh, I won't do that just yet. Okay. I think it would be nice to hear a little bit more... From Kexon? Yeah, let's listen to some Kexon. And also, those listening, 
listen to the words and you can even do the dance move just through what she says but it's yeah actually no we're not going to say too much more but listen and move your body see do what you can yeah do what you can they're milking the cow right now yeah <laughs> all right we're gonna go back see you later jump in
going to chat? Great. First of all, Chola. Yeah. Tell me how you found that. <laughs> you a little bit out of breath, Ash. <laughs> I gave it That's everything. Chola. I gave it everything. I love that. I mean, I definitely, I was jealous of you taking up your jumper, but um, I'm, I'm down to take this to the club now. Yeah. I, I want to go dancing. I, really I wasn't ready for dancing, but now I'm really ready for dancing. I feel very energised. Yes. Um, I was a little bit scared when I was coming in, I have to say, because like, there's like, a bit of space between where Kexing and her player partner was doing it, as I had to walk across to come join you because that's where I felt safe to do it, or like I felt comfortable, <laughs> but I felt a bit like, oh. That's great um, because I saw you descending the stairs and I thought, oh God, somebody that I know is going to see me doing this, so I was really glad yeah. join me. Yeah, that was great. Um, I definitely, I feel empowered. I feel good. I want to dance more. Yeah. I'm hot. Yeah, I want to learn the I'm, routine better. Yeah, but I love the music a lot. Like, it's got a really good pump. Yeah. Totally. You? Thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. I'm quite uncoordinated, so it's quite, <laughs> I feel very um, exposed in this yeah. kind of situation. Yes. But for the sake of art, I will be in the front row and I will do it and I will okay. embarrass myself. Yeah. I yeah. have a great time. Yeah. Well, you didn't embarrass yourself. You looked like, I was like, oh, I want to yeah. be wet ashes. So <laughs> But I also felt a lot of aerobics, like I did aerobics totally. at school yeah. and it was like the kind of steps. Yeah, my mum my mum was an aerobics trainer actually. Oh really? She became a personal trainer when I was a young teenager. So ah. my life was watching women do this. Okay. And hating it. But not joining in. Not joining in. Okay. Not enjoying it. Now I'm done. Yeah, now you're in. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pick up the recorder because it's over on the floor. I'm gonna leave my stuff here Drum and see if I can find somebody else to okay, give nice. me their impression. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. My name is Ash. I'm reporting for Radio Worm. Did you guys participate in the performance just now? Uh, yes. Yeah. You were dancing. Yes, yeah. we were dancing. Tell me, tell me what you thought. Uh, I thought it was great. I'm still really hot from the dancing. Yeah. But it was actually the first thing that we did here today, so it was a good warming up. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's always this moment of hesitation when you feel that you have to yeah. do something, and then you're like, come on, get over yourself and then actually it's really nice. <laughs> totally, I like to use the excuse that I'm like reporting that like uh, I have to I have to do it and yeah. Yeah. the front but yeah as soon as it starts. Yeah, yeah then actually you're in it and it's all good. Yeah, yeah. exactly and it really was I think that's the first time I was here yesterday as well and I didn't actually do any dancing. I saw a lot of music but no dancing and now in the zone yeah. and I want to go dance. What are you guys looking forward to today actually? What's on your agenda? Do you have a strategy for tonight? I do. So um, I'll start with with uh, Holly. What's her name? Holly Birch? No. Now I'm messing up. Holly, the one that starts yeah. at seven. Holly. Holly yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's my first, and then afterwards, well, it's we've been debating for two days whether to do Gobise or Earth Eater. I'm still not completely 100% sure. And then there was actually I have a really big list. Um, so there was. I really would like to not be in the part as much as yesterday because I like part the, le the least. And there were a lot of cool things in the grey space. Yeah, I want to go there a lot today. Um, there's always the possibility that fate will decide for you because Kobe yeah. is in a really small room. Yeah, mm. also. Uh, last night when I was there, there were things it that I couldn't full? get. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's nice when you Ah, because that is in, in the grey space. No, no where's the... Part, but it's in part two, so it's the uh, yeah. of the two rooms, and yeah. then he was performing with Teresa in a big room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great, yeah. yeah. Also, because I already saw him perform in a sort of way yesterday, I feel like oh, maybe I should actually go see Earth Theatre. Because then I've seen everybody. <laughs> yeah. I think we're mostly following our friends, yeah, <laughs> who is the strategist. <laughs> yeah. Very good. 
Kexin, that was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Just want to like have a quick chat and like capture the atmosphere. And yeah. It like everybody's having a super fun time. Yeah, sweaty as hell and uh, yeah. So sweaty as hell. But this game is also addic addictive. Uh, people really are glued in front of the screen, uh, especially younger children. They really like to play the game and uh, yeah, everyone is. Uh, Everyone can play the game, and, and I see that there's so many different kinds of people passing by uh, and staying for like almost half an hour in front of the screen. And uh, uh, there are people even lining up in front of the screen trying to get a spot to, to get to try the game. And I'm really happy to see that, uh, as well as uh, the performance where people, everyone is super happy to join. and. Uh, they stay, uh, they, they really stay here for the whole performance. Yeah, I think it's really <coughs> impressive and it shows how engaging the work is that people are willing to just start. And like people I spoke to like, yeah, a little bit nervous to begin, a little bit subconscious, but you get very quickly into the zone and it's a huge amount of fun. Yeah. Um, but this I is guess. not the very first time you've shown the work, right? Well, uh, this is the premiere of this work uh, the, that I present at Revire Festival as part of Proximity Music. Uh, I did a two-month residency at uh, III Instrumental Inventors in The Hague, and this is the work that we I developed uh, with my team, and this is the final presentation, uh, first time I present this work. Yeah, but today is the second day. Um, we have one more day to go. And has it, has it changed much for you over the course of the, these first two days? Uh, it hasn't changed much. This is how we, we planned, uh, how, how, how we imagined the way to do it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, what I found really impressive, because I've walked past it a couple of times, and knew that today I would have to actually come and participate, and what really wanted to, because the other times I came in partway through. What really impressed me, being here from the beginning this time, was also the way that the themes that you were dealing with that were dealt with in such an embodied and light-hearted, like a serious but also very relatable way. So you're dealing with the history of labor and probably also industrialization and where we are now. And to be able to package that and have questions about that in such a short and super banging performance and engaging multiple performance, I found really moving. Yeah, the, actually we spent months researching uh, in this uh, all types of uh, labors that requires highly repetitive patterns of moving bodily movements. We were also looking at archives uh, of uh, work sounds, uh, and work sound is uh, really a crucial part of our research. They help people uh, back then to synchronize the body movements in a way that they can work better in a more efficient way. And also, uh, it's really empowering that people can invent melodies and rhythms themselves to register their own physical, individual body in the great flood of history. And I find work song really, um, yeah, it's, it's my source of inspiration. And we're looking at how people were dancing and moving, working at the same time, dancing. And um, yeah, so uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of research. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that makes uh, what could be a potentially alienating situation of work into one that's actually communal and shared 
and then perhaps nicer to deal with. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, really find the, the urge to look back to these old archives and to reactivate it and then, uh, yeah, in a way that everyone can participate in the work. Mm, doesn't matter if people understand or not. <laughs> I find that uh, it's 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 good anyway to open a channel or to just let everybody do it, and then uh, yeah, it's yeah, that's the way I like to approach a topic. Yeah. It seems really successful because everybody here is doing it and having a lot of fun. Doing yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's next for you after this? Are you taking the work anywhere else on tour, or do you have other projects that you're working on that we can look forward to? I'm gonna take. A holiday. <laughs> I'm gonna take a break <laughs> and uh, make some non-work movements for a while. Yeah. Well, every movement is work. Every work is movement. Um, the next, I think, uh, I'm planning. Um, I um, I really look forward to bringing this work further um, to kind of think of a way to distribute this work maybe on like some game console and to make it more accessible online because right now it is a game that we use touch designer to do it and everyone who wants to play the game have to install touch designer and have a Kinect so we're looking forward to uh, finding ways to publish it or distributing it and then we're gonna develop uh, this work also focus more on live performance and to think of a way uh, how to do like motion sonification or like sound visualization to make it more uh, interactive on the stage. Mm. And uh, I think the next, uh, maybe Art Rotterdam, Art, uh, Art with Rotterdam, I'm going to present this work as well as part of Art Rotterdam. So. We're now listening to um, the first song from Tears' performance, which happened at Pod.
So that was um, Tears' first song from her performance at Pard, which was really beautiful. Her, when she performs, it's always so like tranquil and capturing. I really enjoyed listening, always. I've seen her a few times play now. and I re- First time I heard her was actually at La Gassou in 2018, which was amazing. Um, and then seen her at Greenman Festival in Wales since. And somewhere else, I feel. But yeah, always good. It was really moving. Mm. Um, I do have a clip which I probably won't play um, which was like from the next day of me talking shit with somebody else about how bad the mix was like uh, the levels were felt really off yeah which was a bit distracting yeah because there was some of that there's a um, soundscapes from Kobe I think that they were playing and then it's quite yeah. loud and then um, and then Terza's sound was a bit buried mm. but still still wanted to have a little cry when she yeah. played Devotion <laughs> That was really nice. So there we go. Our voice is amazing. Out of Allah, I won't, uh, I won't play the clip of us shit-talking when we were <laughs> drunk after several days of festival business. But I um, was happy to run into him and have a chat. Oh, nice. Um, next up, we're going to play um, some of the interview that happened with Meredith Monk. So in the last episode that Ash and I did, we played two snippets of um, the circular... Cellular song, sorry. Um, and then on the... So, uh, Meredith Monk performed on the Friday the cellular songs and then the games on the Saturday night and then on Sunday at like midday there was a interview with her which was amazing I mean I fell in love with her even more and I'm um, just going to play three snippets the first one is talking about her kind of composition process um, the second one is talking about her work in the pandemic and how like shifting online and um, her interaction with other artists then the final question is from Tisa, a fellow radio wormer and a wormer, um, who is talking about um, the voice and kind of where it comes from and when you know you're kind of being true to your sound. Mm. 
I wasn't there, so I'm guessing um, it wasn't Tessa interviewing her the whole time. But no. I would really love that. Yeah, no, it was, it was nice. There were like a few at the end. There were about five questions that were come from the audience, and Tisa managed to go on. Like there were so many hands up, and the interviewer was like, "I'm really sorry, we're not going to have very many." But lucky Tisa got up, and it was a really good question. And there were some really nice questions as well. But I'm just going to play that one. All right, let's hear it. Let's go. that you can't get if you're singing with an orchestra or something like that. Um, so I think always, you know, I'm a terrible keyboard player. <laughs> I mean, I remember I went on a, on a, a duet concert uh, a tour with Nuri Tillis, who was this great pianist who worked with Steve Reich, and I always used to say, it's the Volkswagen bug and the Mercedes Benz, you know, and the piano world. And then I was a singer, you know, so I mean, I never was a great pianist. Um, my grandmother on my mother's side was a concert pianist and my mother always said she practiced six hours a day and you know what my mother was not an easy mother being a diva and everything but one of the things we always used to love to do was play forehands and we were both terrible and we would just be laughing so hard you know we'd be making these mistakes and just cracking up almost crying laughing how horrible we were um, so I mean like my keyboard parts had to be pretty simple I mean I it was a certain point where I was practicing a lot, I was getting pretty good, <laughs> but, but um, you know, it's more, I think, as, as I said, I think I was sort of the keyboard part more, mostly as a sort of, you know, web or a bed that the voice could be very complex. I did, as I said, there was a, a point where I really was practicing a lot and I made some keyboard pieces that I feel good about, you know, and then my pianist friends would play them and say, are they playable or not? But um, but basically now at this point, I still sit at the keyboard to, to, to um, compose. Sometimes it's, I'm exploring vocally, and sometimes I'm starting at the keyboard. But I think the thing is that's interesting is coming from a movement background. When I started working vocally, I knew how to work. You know, I knew what it was to go into a studio and try to make movement. I mean, movement was always hard for me. And that was a good thing because I, I had to develop my own vocabulary, my own way of moving because I was not, it wasn't easy for me. So when I found this thing with the voice, I had a way, I knew how to work. So I always went into the studio and worked with my voice in that way to find what, you know, for me it's more like, a, it's very intuitive until I find the moment that's, oh, this is really interesting, I've never done this before, I've never heard this before. And then that's my first clue, it's like being a detective. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm always terrified to this day working on a new piece. Oh. You know, because I always want to be at the edge of the cliff, finding something new, not doing what I've done before, which I think has kept me interested and curious and loving what I do. And I always just wanted to have new ideas until I dropped in, and I'm getting new ideas, and I'm like, wow, this is great. But, um, you know, it's more just, you know, exploring until I find something, and then that's the first clue, and then, um, you know, then curiosity takes over, 
and then the anxiety and fear go away, and then I know I'm on the right track. And does that period of exploration, it, it continues, well, how does that work when you're putting a piece into rehearsals? I mean, these long-term collaborators in the ensemble, um, you mentioned Yoshio last night, Yabara, you know, you, there are people that you've worked with over yeah. long periods of yeah. time, so how do you leave yourself open to the possibilities of a piece that might reveal itself when it translates out of your head into a score, but then actually in a physical space with the people performing it? Well, the thing is, um, I work alone a lot for, you know, maybe sometimes years or a year before I go into rehearsal. And I still lay tracks myself on a four-track tape recorder because um, I just like on, off, you know, because by the time I get the computer going, I can't, I've forgotten what came up. Um, there's a difference between generating material and making a form. It's a, kind of a different part of the brain. I love form, so I've always loved form. So the generating material is more intuitive and the making form, I would say, is more, um, what would I say, it's coming from a different place of meticulousness and precision. And I think that in my work, there's always been a, what I'd like to try to keep going with is combination of freedom and discipline. So what happens is usually I'll work on material and even lay tracks with my own voice, even doing the bass part and everything, and I come into rehearsal with material, but it's not totally, it's not usually, sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes it's not even scored or anything, you know, I just come in. And then we, we work together for so long that people, they know my language, and then it's, in a way it's like sculpting a form on the people themselves. And so there's a lot of give and take and a lot of like, gee, Theo, try that, no, 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 I don't really like that voicing, Katie, could you try that? And, you know, so there's a lot of that. And that sense of choreography as well, like, well, the movement usually for me now comes after the music. I usually come in with music and then see what the, what it, the piece needs. And then I go back alone and work alone and, you know, really try to refine and also rewrite or something like that and then go in and then we have our final rehearsal. But I'm very, I'm very open to these wonderful artists because, first of all, we've been together for years and years and there were each of them. I want each of them to be able to shine um, and feel comfortable, and you know, it's very interdependent. Something like cellular songs, I cannot tell you. What, I mean, that process was so wonderful um, because it really is interdependent. If one person falls down, we all fall down, and that has its good and bad points. But it's so amazing. The process was like that because so labor intensive to just sing those things. I mean, they're so complex. They sound really simple, but they're very intricate. And just to be able to sing them was like labor. Everybody was heave hawing like to be able to sing them in it. And then you feel that, you know, you sort of feel what that is. Yeah. For some strange reason, my mind was just going in a creative way during the whole pandemic. It was so weird. Like I had so much creative energy, it was just crazy. So, you know, I just basically was pretty excited during the, that time, but I think the perspective of Tai Chi or of, of practice, um, it just gave everything a different perspective. And I was very aware of suffering and kind of, um, I opened my, 
myself off a lot to doing a lot of interviews and um, lectures of, because I felt that as an older artist, that it was my responsibility to also keep young artists and young people going. You know, because I've had the privilege of being able to manifest my work. And I felt that there were a lot of young people at this time that were wondering whether there would be a place. You know, so that was, you know, so I felt that it was very important that I made myself available during that time. But as far as creative energy, I was cooking. You know, I have no idea why, you know, but I was. But at the same time, I was practicing a lot, you know, so more than I usually get a chance to. And I wrote a piece called Simple Sorrow for Pema, um, myself in a bar, in my, my friend Lanny's barn and laid tracks, you know, on the computer for the first time, you know. I'm like, oh, track two, I'm, the, I'm like the engineer and the singer and the promoter. And, uh, and um, you know, so I feel like it did inform what I was working on, yeah. I was wondering about uh, tiny subtlety when it comes to vocalizing and expressing through the, the vocal apparatus. What is it uh, that you think about while you're doing it? And the other way I could ask this question is, what is the intention behind it? Or perhaps, what do you sense when you do it? Um, sometimes I think of, am I singing now what I want to feel? Or am I singing what I'm currently sensing in my own body. Mm. <laughs> I have a radical answer to that. You're going to hate me. <laughs> if you're thinking, you're not there. <laughs> if you're actually thinking so those so thoughts, it means you're not there. <laughs> you know, so the best performances that I've ever had in my life is when that voice is not happening. And what I'm, my intention is freedom. Is there not a silent observer somewhere above your head that is observing you and thinking about what is happening while you're... God! God, goddess, he, she, or it. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. So, uh, let's do one from this side. I'm, I'm just going to go... Okay. Yeah, so that was... Meredith. So, yeah, I'm listening back, I now want to go back and listen to the whole interview. Yeah. She's so beautiful. Wow. Also just how generous she is, you know? She's like talking about creating space for the collaborators and also them wanting to give back and uh, to artists who, you know, she's had her her time, her privilege of being able to have artistic practice, but kind of making that space and guiding people. I think it's just beautiful. Yeah. And also how, the way she says it. Yeah, she's been there and she's done it all mm. and she remains such a such an icon. Yeah. And an inspiration and, yeah. Here we are getting tickets to rewind. Well, for me, because she was playing, because yeah. she would be there. Yeah. Yeah, and good on Tisa getting a couple of sneaky I questions. <laughs> a beautiful question as well. Really beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of collaborations, questions. They come from. Uh, Hi. Okay, sorry. <laughs> what I would love to be able to play next is. Um, a an excerpt from the work of Mint Park and mm. Quiet Ensemble who were put together for the first time. They had one week of working together. So Quiet Ensemble is two people, I think, from Spain originally. Yeah. And Mint is an artist who's now based in Amsterdam. And they were they were coupled up by instrument inventors as part of Proximity Music. Um, Mint, you will hear her explaining more about the process of the collaboration. And the interview that we did with her after one of the performances, 
Before that, you'll also hear an excerpt from the performance itself. Mm. Um, Should we describe the performance, or is that does that come in the interview? I like spend a lot of minutes doing oh, that yeah, badly in the interview. <laughs> so it's not badly; it's nice. <laughs> it's good you'll be able to feel it. It's you're something. Yeah. It's better to do that at the time directly after than yeah. three weeks later. So I'm yeah, going to trust true. that. Um, but of course, this was not the first time I'd attempted to get into one of Mint's multiple performances. So I was standing in the queue. <laughs> waiting to get in this time like super early so that there was no chance that I would miss out because it was such a small audience capacity. Um, and there was a couple of people standing around in front of me and one of them had some records and he was pulling them out. So do you know what I did? Shout it to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear this. Nice, looking forward. I've got mint chocolate or the, um, I've got lint mint or I've got Tony's almond and salt. I've got Tony's milk caramel. I just look right under the house. You got, I think, most excited about that one. I did get excited about that one. I was going to ask if it was like mint ganache on the inside or whether it's just It's mint infused. Oh, yeah, he's putting later, right? You're very nosy. I love him a lot. Can I, can I be really nosy and, and ask you? I'm reporting for Radio 1 in okay. Rwanda. Can I be really nosy and ask what, what you bought? I bought... Uh, some records here. Yeah, Anna von House, of course. Oh, yeah. are you going to see her this evening? No, I'm actually playing like uh, half an hour later, so I have, yeah. to, be, I have to be there. Uh-huh. And I got uh, Seth Graham. For uh-huh. He's also playing tonight. Who is it, sorry? Seth Graham. Oh, yeah. From Orange Milk Records or label or whatever. Ah, and you've been to 3345. Uh, or was you, were you over at the Gray Space? Gray Space. And yeah. you're playing tonight? Yeah, I'm doing lights for uh, Ula Sickle and uh, Stinner. And Stinner Ovens? Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. your name? Offer. Nice to meet you. I'm Ash. Hi, Ash. <laughs> Is it your first time at Rewire Festival? No. I actually played here, like, I think in the first edition, oh, uh, like wait. 12 years ago. I don't know how much... Was it the first or the second? I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the first times we played here with a band. We used to live here. I used to live in Den Haag. Not, not no more, but uh, I used to live here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what were you playing that time, that first time? Computer. Mm-hmm. Computer. She's and bass, a bit of bass. We had a, like an improv group, uh, Gamila. And we slowly turned into like making actual albums. And that was like... A, the show that killed us. Oh, really? The Rewire show was the end of the band? Yeah, kind of. I think it was the last time we did the show uh, ever. Is that because it was a bad experience or was it just like the end of a period? Of it was the end of a period and like this transformation from improv to albums was not an easy process for any one of us and like uh, it kind of like broke the dynamic of the thing. But the album is actually still good. I still oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's What's a good it? album. How do we find and, it? And Jamila... Yeah. which is was our cellist in the group. She's playing on Sunday. You should go see her, it's yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. A, that's a, I like this... Uh, Closures, kind of like, yeah. You've got, to, you've got to take the recommendations of the people who are also playing. I think that's a very good festival strategy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can have all sorts of festival strategies. Because I have nothing to lose. I mean, I'm going to l- not see anything that I want to see. That's the thing, you know? Just because of the timetable? Yeah, because, like, we play at 10, and most of the good stuff happens between, like, 9 and 11. And that's exactly where I'm like uh, in my other mental space and I yeah. don't go see performances. Can yeah. I ask what your routine is if you're performing at a festival like this or for any show? Like, what does a day of a performance look like? Do you spend the whole morning preparing for that night? No, I mean, we already set up on Thursday and we had a show already yesterday. So we had a run yesterday 
and today is just I'm trying to a bit enjoy the festival and uh, then like uh, at seven we go do the checks of the systems and everything and but like mentally does it take a lot of preparation or you just done this for so long that it doesn't uh, doesn't move you anymore no it moves me for sure otherwise I would have stopped doing it but um, mental preparation no, is more like a you have to be more of a blank page in a way. It's very hard to be like super full with like other sounds and images and stuff. So I prefer to not do much, you know, like just to be kind of, and also hang up, hang out with like the dancers and the like, cause it, there's a certain dynamic that creates movement and creates light and sound that all together, it's hard to kind of like pop in like in the last moment and uh, be good actually, yeah. I think. So you need to establish that connection with them yeah. each time and yeah. give it space to develop. Feel the, feel the energies of everybody. Also like, since I do the lights, I'm kind of disconnected. I'm not with them in the circle, so it's, yeah. it's a bit like uh, I have to feed off something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, after the show, do you have a, what, what does that look like for you? Then we just go out like yeah. everybody else, I think. Just become normal people <laughs> one of the mob one of the mob but yeah I think um, for me personally in my experience I've never been in dance but my experience of performing is that after being on stage you have a certain kind of high yeah if it, if it doesn't go well then you just want to disappear maybe but yeah. if it goes well then you then you're surfing adrenaline for the rest of the night and yeah yeah for Yes and no, because it also is um, emptying like it's it takes yes. away also a lot of energy to play but yeah, there's a certain high, and like after that, you it's hard to calm down. But there's also like a performance that didn't go well. It's actually good to kind of immerse yourself in people, because people always have different perspective of actually how it went. Because for you as an artist on stage or like uh, on the back of the stage, is is a different experience. You're so critical about everything that happens, and I think. Uh, for the people, it's the first time they see it, the first time they kind of like have experience of what's going on. So you're, they're more open and more like perceptive to other things that you are not. Yeah. Of course, and I think that's especially the case at a festival. Yeah, for sure. have access to things that they, they didn't especially choose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. that's magic. Yeah. yeah, it's strange to play festivals, but it's also a nice thing. I mean, yeah. I prefer like going, doing like a show which is... There's more time and there's more like space to also like I don't know like the fact that you like like ten minutes before the show there's nobody in the waiting and like you're kind of like is people gonna be there or not and then like people actually come like in the last five minutes and they fill up the space but it's a weird feeling yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean here we are like uh, there's an empty room there yeah and people and are a queuing bunch of people inside preparing and then here we are standing outside yeah but this is special that everybody's queuing like this yeah I've seen it like not only here but a few venues ah, yeah. at the festival lots of queuing yeah not okay. in a, not in a, and I don't mean that as a, as a critical like bad logistics yeah. thing, but really people are really excited to see these works yeah I think people throughout the weekend, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. cool thank you my pleasure <laughs> and I'm uh, looking forward to the performance also yeah, you're gonna come later I'll see if I can make it it's a, cool. it's a bit of a run around yeah it's, it's a, a, it's a complex really hour I know uh, Stina's work is something I've, I've known about but never been able to see it in person so if I can get there even for a little bit it's a cool bit, it's, it's is a, it the kind of thing I can walk into after it started or is that really bad it's not really bad actually we kind of opened to that usually we don't permit it but this time we kind of opened to this because it's a different vibe and it's um, 
And the work is really inspired by the club scene, so it's not so sterile, it's more dynamic. So, so we'll have, we've let people come in and out, like, they cannot cross the whole space, but like, because uh, the audience and the performers are on the same uh, stage. Like, there's no stage, actually.
Um, but I was just saying, I think it's a really nice concept to have um, unheard records or like unheard albums as a concept. It's really nice. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the idea or the background of how we started is that, um, yeah, we had so many friends that who wanted to be heard and we thought they are more or less having unheard ideas or unheard sound that we need to pay attention to. And those were some of the beginnings of the curatorial points of the label itself and the collective. And I mean, over the years, we've been five or six years now, we've been putting this together. Some of them have become more well known. And like, I mean, as time passed, like some of the ideas have been more explored than uh, the others and whatnot. But uh, in general, it's just a representation of how uh, we'd like to keep things very, I don't know, experimental and edgy and in between um, the liminal lines of known and unknown and heard and unheard. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Just a little side note, this is where we kicked off the interview with Mint Park talking about her record label, which is called Unheard Records, which had, um, I think last year, did a bit of a takeover here at Worm, where they were using the sound studio and doing some live showcases and also had a bit of a radio residency as well. Back to the interview. But yeah, it was a different, a different experience this time to come for your work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you with also the quiet ensemble, so yes. not a solo but a collaborative project. Yeah, collaborative project. So, um, quiet ensemble and I, we met through um, III, which is an organization based in here in The Hague, and they sort of suggested this collaborative uh, project together, and we did a production residency together in the past week, um, right before the BYR festival. So we've, it's been a very intense week of just like, you know, 10, 20, 12 hours per day, just working on this, uh, trying to get something together because we've never met before. <laughs> wow. And we've never worked together before. So this is more or less just of a, I mean, and, and it, it was a bit of a gamble, but um, fun experiment together so far yeah. to work together. Do you think you're current, like, you've got ideas to develop the same work? Yeah, I, I mean, we already are now, think, talking about, okay, this is, like, something that we can that develop more into making a full, pro full on project. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there were some certain points that we were discussing, uh, like, during the f uh, the, this, uh, I mean, dur throughout this festival, that yeah next time like we'd like to work on this and we'd like to work on that like a little bit more dynamics in terms of like how the laser could work and also with the sound etc etc um yeah so i want to um come back to a description of actually what the experience was because of course the listeners won't have any idea of mm -hmm. that just yet but before i tell a little bit about how i experienced it I'm very curious whether you've ever worked like this before, or how's your how's your kind of composition mm. practice usually compared to this? Yeah, it's uh, it's really different uh, depending on what kind of work. Um, yeah, depending on the work, the process d changes a lot. But in case of something like this, which is like a physical, audiovisual, more performance-based work. Um, yeah, you, you, I mean, we had initial sort of a con conceptual backbone of uh, having, having the idea of like creating uh, or working with uh, uh, fluid dynamics and creating an um, ecosystem of like fake weather system. And, uh, 
from that sort of ingredients we put together uh, we work with the physical phenomenon so it's just like in the space like spending time together with all this material and which is the water and the pneumatics the air and also the sound try to put something together um, like if certain effect or phenomenon uh, sounds or looks interesting then we just trying to develop that idea further on and yeah at the end uh, we try to stitch them into composition in the near time um, yeah what came first, the sound or the light, or those ingredients together? Huh? What came first? Like, did you did you like say it gave a sound and then they tested it with the light, or like how did the exchange of? Well, I think it goes both ways. Um, but I I came into the production with already generated sound material, a little bit composed, because I had a, a, a composer residency um, in January in Stockholm at EMS. And for three weeks, I mean, I was really lucky because thanks to Omicron, all the places were closed and, and all the shows were canceled. So I was like, mm, what do I do? I just sit here in the studio. They have really nice electronic music studio, by the way. So I had nothing to do but to sit in the studio and make music. So for about three weeks, I just like spent um, composing and recording and putting like experimenting, going out to the, the uh, not the lake, but river there uh, to record some like melting ice and I don't know, go on hiking, which you cannot really do here in the Netherlands. <laughs> um, so um, I collected a lot of like raw material and in the past uh, eight weeks, so between the residency and had ended in EMS in Stockholm and until Rewire, I was trying to really compose material um, for this, uh, not exactly for this particular production, but like, um, yeah, for in general, I was expecting to have an album out by the mid or like later this year. So this is what I was working towards. Um, yeah, there's actually uh, something that I just released like a week ago. Um, it's a self-released album, but um, collection of um, tracks that I made from... Right. The residency and also, um, yeah, and also some of the material that came uh, came from um, process before this, which is like a continuation of w workflow that I work with, like these kind of fluid dynamics, air, um, working, observing the sort of the climate and um, the working with the phenomenon of turbulence. So uh, it's a little byproduct of package of sounds that I've been working to, working on, yeah. Yeah, super cool. Okay, yeah. we'll have to look up the new album. Mm. Yeah. But I, I will try oh, to it's describe... The, it's the called... The, should I mention the name? Please, yes. Oh, yeah, it's called... Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we all come from somewhere, I suppose. Beautiful. Yeah. Really nice. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at describing the experience of the work. Yep, go ahead. I'm really um, curious to hear. And Charlotte can fill in mm -hmm. anything that I'm missing. Um, so the piece is here at Theater Anitzbau and it's really in a black box theatre. Mm -hmm. And for the past few days, well, today and yesterday, mm -hmm. feels like days. Um, today and yesterday, before each performance, there's really been a much longer queue than could possibly get in. Mm -hmm. So first of all, congratulations on such a beautiful work, but also. Um, I hope that Rewire sees how uh, how in demand this work has been. Mm -hmm. 
um, and that there's a possibility for it to, to travel and to be shot elsewhere with a bigger capacity, mm -hmm. although I did love the intimacy of it as well, of course. So in this uh, quite small black box theatre mm -hmm. within the bounds of a, a white uh, delineated triangle on the floor, we were about 35 of us welcome to sit down mm -hmm. or lie down, the clever ones could, uh, could completely stretch out and, mm -hmm. and look upwards. And um, in a slightly smoky room, suddenly the soft lights go completely down and the space is split by a, one or two beams of light shooting directly towards one another. Mm -hmm. And we have this very um, beginning atmospheric, quite soft bath of uh, electric, electro sound. Electronic sound? Yeah, music festival, yeah. my words are failing me. It's hard to describe noise. Oh, it sounds really it's great. I'm, just having, I'm like reliving it as well. It's really nice. And, um, uh, which, uh, and, this, and this kind of bath of sound, eventually, as the, as the laser light becomes also more hectic, yeah. it becomes more like, a, instead of being a bath, it's more like a, a car wash that one is walking through. And then becomes almost a simulation as a, as a really, the intensity cranks up and you feel almost like you're in a, a simulation of battle with these two lasers mm -hmm. raking across one another mm. above, like meters above your head. Mm. Um, and at a certain point the, the light and the sound expand to something where you can see and feel the fluidity of this, mm. this graphic and also of the sound um, so that you are as if below the surface of water or as if you can visualize turbulence. Mm. Um, and these fluid motions and the fluid materials and there are also jets of vapor mm -hmm. um, periodically being expelled very close to you. I think one was directly above my head. Were you sitting near to the vapor? Did you get rained on a little? Yeah, and I didn't feel it. I didn't <laughs> I feel it as moisture the, though. Was the vapor was near the end, right? Yeah, it was and at the end. And that's what makes it sparkly. It was we were behind the smoke, but <gasps> it was smoke. Okay, so so the, the plastic tubes that are hanging from the ceiling, there's the smoke, and then there's the water vapor. The, pl the plastic tubes that are coming from the ceiling, they're just uh, pneumatics. So they're high compressed air. Yeah. So so when you when I when they create when we create this plane uh, yes. with laser, they actually attenuate the patterns that you see on the ah. because they're shooting um, high the, uh, high compressed air. So it it's supposed to yeah fluctuates. Ah, so it's just air splatting out. Yeah. And then, because we were near the smoke machine, and it was quite funny, because that also was a sound. Yeah, there was... There, there was a sonic effect as well. Yeah. yeah. Which is nice, because it was quite different, also different directionality mm -hmm. and texture completely to the other sounds, which I yeah. found interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so this uh, visual pneumatic uh, air moving around, visualised and, and felt as a moving up and down, closer mm -hmm. towards the real ceiling and, and, and then closer towards us. Um, and I think the really magical moment was when the effect, the visual effect, was that we were in a tunnel of mm. this sheet of Venetian marbling yeah. was uh, one of the references that Chola brought up and I felt like exactly that. I was uh, within this, underneath first a plane, but then after that, towards the end of the, of the piece, like within a tunnel. Mm -hmm. Of, of this uh, flat plane of moving liquid, moving particles, and it was really mesmerizing. Right. Yeah, it was more like something like a video game in a way, like because it had it was a funnel, so there was like a, a perspective, right? Mm -hmm. 
so like you were looking towards the middle, and then it started to become glittery because of the water vapour. It was really cool because there was different effects of the air, the smoke and the glitter, and like sometimes you saw it, and that's why I mentioned marbling, because you never know how dense. Do you know Venetian marbling? No. So when you like put paint and oils mm -hmm. in, oh, the, yeah. in, the, in the paper, and then you like mix it around, then you bring the paper up, you're never sure what pattern it's going to be or what remains is stuck. It's right. kind of like a surprise. Mm. But it kind of had that, like, when you use, like, a metallic one, that shininess, mm -hmm. and then it had the more smoky effect, I don't know, and then the right. it was It was really cool. I, for me, like, the moment when um, it went from the laser lights to when it went to the sheet of light, mm -hmm. that for me was like, oh, wow, I was not expecting that at all. Mm -hmm. And I all of a sudden, like, I'm in a completely different space. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, that really transitioned. I mean, it was a transition, but I really felt like, wow. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you could absolutely feel it when the the light and sound finally went down and for just a very brief moment we were all sitting together in darkness and silence. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't quite silence because you could just hear people still holding their breath or letting their breath out because Was this in the in, in the middle? At the end. At the end, okay. Right yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of my favourite moments of hearing live music is mm. the bit between the finish and the clap. Mm. like that moment of holding of breath or silence or I don't know that is like for me is like one of the most beautiful things in life mm. and I get annoyed when people clap too soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a, it was a little shorter than I would have desired yeah. this time actually because I was really enjoying that moment of like this this pause this very pregnant pause where mm. people are still in the in the glow mm. of it's what they've just experienced in like the effect like it's, it's a heightened sense of awareness also as a crowd because you're, you've all experienced something you brought together and then for me the clap just we all go back to ourselves again mm. yeah. but it was really nice to mm. experience that Actually, similarly, I was thinking before the piece began, when everybody was shifting around, getting ready and sitting down, and nothing had happened yet, looking around, and it was almost like being in a bus shelter or being in an airport before getting on a plane. Like Everybody was there for the same reason. Mm. They didn't know each other, mm. but they were waiting, and they were very ready. Mm. <laughs> but they didn't know what it was going to be. Right. Yeah. And that was a very beautiful space, like a strange mm. social space and a beautiful social place to be. Right. Um, can I ask you more about your compositional technique? Because I also work with compositions. So I'm interested mm -hmm. in how you work, like what sounds you use, or how you make your sounds, or right. yeah, um, your process of getting to how you work now. Um, yeah, it's a I different processes uh, combined in. Um, yeah, for this instance. Um, I first collect a lot of sound material, like, I mean, hours and hours of just recordings of generally a lot of, mostly electronic equ equipment, but when I work with them, I try to, it's not that I try to disguise them, their identities and whatnot, but I like to work and think in terms of textures, and um, in that sense, I can compose more spatially uh, rather than bound to time because if you um, follow the rules tonal rules of the pitch or the rhythm you're very locked into the, uh, the, the like the linear time that we live in but I, I always try to escape that sense by making a lot of spatial approaches and which is why I'm using quad setup here um, mm. then yeah, you get to just approach composition in much more uh, multi-dimensionally and also spatially, mm -hmm. and that always 
brings more I don't know compositional like musical ideas to me to me that's like interesting um, and also in a sense that like yeah the topics that I'm researching and also more or less um, working with uh, non-human sound and non-human aspects of the sound is that um, yeah it it brings me back to the concept of working with sound uh, wor working with space and creating some sort of a landscape and allowing the audience to sort of define their own journey depending on where they're sitting or how they listen and yeah that's more how the process of how I work and obviously like I can go into the technical details of like how I create textures what kind of uh, equipments I use but I think um, yeah then it it's out, it just starts sounds very boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the it's out there. It's not boring at all. But I have to admit that as a as a listener, I'm here for the texture. Yeah. And I have no idea what these things are made on. And if you told me, I probably wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, also, <laughs> it's it's it's. I mean, yeah, yeah. And because I think it's also because I was uh, I studied studied composition and electronic music. For my bachelor's and also my master's, um, there was a tendency of me getting like using very academic words, and I'm really trying to avoid these when I'm talking to people who are not coming from the musical, so, like quote unquote musical backgrounds. It's a very, yeah, I don't know. But there's so much, I mean, there's there's space for that, but there's also so much to talk about otherwise. Yeah, otherwise, like, exactly. To collect the sound that you do collect when mm -hmm. you're going out doing field recording. Um, what does that mean to you? Then what do you do with it? What do you mm -hmm. want to produce for people? There are so many other things that yeah, you could also yeah, yeah, yeah. So while there is, of course, space for the yeah. academic and the technical, it's, it is great when yeah. you can offer insight into the other mm -hmm. parts of the process. Too. Yeah. I mean, I started collecting sounds actually starting from 20, 20, 2010. So about like 12 years of me just like frantically collecting sound with phone or shitty field recorders I mean the, the equipment doesn't have to be very fancy yeah. but I think I started collecting them because of this specific storm that I experienced when I was back home in Seoul South Korea we lost electricity for about two and a half hours and my studio at the time was flooded up until my knee because there was so much rain that came down in such short amount of time that um, yeah, it couldn't. They couldn't handle uh, the uh, the water system couldn't handle, um, and also the mountain that it, like it, 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 there was a small like uh, hill or mountain that was right behind my uh, parents' house, and a third of it just got washed away because that's how strong the storm and the rain was. Oh so I mean, and obviously there was a lot of people who. Uh, was effect their homes were affected by it and I mean my studio included and I this is like my first at the, at the time I was recording the sounds of thunder because it was so strong and it was I don't know like there was something about it that I really had to record I had to like record so I didn't know the electricity went out because my computer was running on a battery 
And while I was listening to it, I was so into it. And then half an hour later, I tried to turn on the light and it wouldn't work. I was like, oh shit, there's no electricity anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then after the, this very incident, I just had the realization that like, maybe I should just record every single rain that I hear and see how it different, like it, how it is different from one to the other. So I, whenever I traveled or whenever I, move to a different city I every now and then when I when whenever there is rain I mean here's it, it just happens so much in a, in a way that like it doesn't become so special anymore <laughs> but um, yeah I try to record them and and try to I don't know listen for a specific pattern or sound as if it's uh, has uh, something to say to me or to anyone else because I could hear it. I mean, the sounds of the, the weather or like non-human sources is that something that you hear in one way, but another person hears it and has a complete different perspective. So, I mean, that's why I, th I am so drawn to um, using such source of sound into my composition. And yeah, I don't know, I just uh, like listening to rain and since then it just grew into you know sounds of water sounds of people walking around sounds of markets i don't know very specific places where it has a very specific acoustics i was interested in it and i mean there's a value to it because you can only uh, hear it or listen to it in that specific location so i started recording small snippets of it and brought into comp different compositions and over time yeah the archive grew and yeah, it's, it has sort of become part of my process now, mm -hmm. uh, he, like making small snippets of these field, field recorded sections into the composition when I'm working with electronics. And do you often dip back into that archive now that you've been collecting so long? Do you, or is it something that you, you would then like maybe use something recent from recent times and then put it away? Or do you find yourself browsing your own back catalogue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it all the time when I'm working on uh, compositions because, you know, these files, they're, they're all stored in this... I, I organize them all in the same folder. And sometimes I just... Because you, you sort of forget how it was... How it sounded at the time. Mm -hmm. Or you have a different memory of it. And when you go back, it just has become a completely different sound. So I oftentimes I just browse through them or maybe it's just because I'd like to be, uh, remember, I'd like to remember something of that time, uh, specific places, I listen back to them. Like even when I'm not making music sometimes. That's yeah. so beautiful to think that's a, you had, that your studio was once completely flooded by rain mm -hmm. and that now rain is one of the sounds that is a constant occurrence yeah. in your studio actually mm -hmm. and a library that you, you've built up a, a library of local rains. Ah, I never thought of it that way but hmm. <laughs> true. <laughs> Can I ask you about the chord setup? I'm, I'm, a, I'm nope. into speakers and specialized sound as well mm. so I'm like, just want to geek out on how, what you do and how. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I mean, lately I've been doing a lot more spatial um, setup for performances. A quad is like the most basic you can get beyond stereo or like getting too expensive with your gear. Um, and 
what I like about it is that you can really, yeah, perceive music differently in uh, four, with four different speakers. And what I noticed is that because I like to work with layers, I sometimes really layer them throughout the field, even if they're really um, small, minute differences. And I mean, it ends up being multiple tracks on my arrangement view mm -hmm. uh, with the same material, but uh, because you are spreading them out in such like, yeah, delicate, diff small, minute changes uh, throughout the space. I don't know, it just feels a little bit more alive and different, mm -hmm. organic to me to work in. Um, and even if you just like spread out very, I don't know, boring tone or like sign tone just waving in and out, mm -hmm. um, it just becomes like very mesmerizing spatial effects that you get to perform in. Um, so do you have most of the tracks going into the four, all tracks going to the same four speakers, but then you automate maybe the volume of, or how they move? Or is it that you maybe only have some sounds in one? It, uh, some sounds are only in the front two. Okay. Some sounds are only in the back two. Um, and depending on the groups that I work with, like lower, uh, it, whether if it's more textural mm -hmm. or tonal, more high frequency end and lower bassy end um, and yeah some sounds I just um, I like the word of Klangfarben melody mm. this is a really um, old school term from uh, Schoenberg right yeah. yeah but there's this there's a textural melody to all these sounds and I try to organize them in groups and I, I sort of yeah, try to spread them out uh, throughout the room or have them really concentrated in one part of the room and have them enter at certain um, a moment and mm -hmm. that becomes a very strong compositional statement and yeah. Um, yeah so that's like some ways of working with uh, in, like interesting ways uh, of working with four speakers mm -hmm. spatial setup mm -hmm. Uh, for me, at least, yeah. And how do you how are you finding the experience of like the keeping going through the festival? It seems yeah. exhausting. I would be exhausted. It's uh, it's intense, of mm. of course, but I mean it's short performance, so um, I I guess it's doable. And, and because we were in such like intense lab environment just before. Um, we have a lot of like energy mm. still to okay let's try this out we're the material's still fresh and we're still ironing out some of the really kinks of working together you know so I mean I'm using this opportunity as of course to showcase the ideas that and the piece that we developed uh, together the past week but also for us this is sort of a rehearsal <laughs> Each, each performance, are you then changing it? Is that kind of, you're using it also as an iteration process? It's more like an iteration process. I mean, by now, the composition is more or less fixed, mm -hmm. and like we're just really trying to figure out like what works best and like how to perform it well. Because mm -hmm. um, it's all manual. Some of them are automated, okay. um, but I'm triggering each scene 
mm-hmm. um, up until the very last one. Okay. So, yeah, we're every time we play this, it's a rehearsal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. It means that there's a lot of momentum still carried forward from that very energetic phase of workshopping and coming up with it yeah. from the very beginning to um, mm-hmm. still performing it as a thing that's alive. Yeah. Up until like the three performances yesterday were, were probably all very different different because we were still mm-hmm. trying to figure out oh shit what goes on where and mm-hmm. like how does this work we never actually played the whole thing throughout up until the first performance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. it's good to have that deadline or that reason and then you just gotta go you just yeah. gotta trust yourself yeah <laughs> and yeah um but uh yeah i i think we're now more in a moment a different momentum of like okay this is how it feels and like you know it feels good to be um in sync or out of sync at certain moments and like really enjoy this like certain parts and then move on transition to another section mm-hmm. um yeah so we're constantly in conversation about oh yeah i really like that part i really like this part i didn't really like this part you know mm-hmm. um like exchanging comments and
just listened to um that was lips by stina yanvin um and stina yanvin what is the band who are playing at rewai and also ofa who ash was talking about before we went into mink park was the light person who was um doing that show so that was also why we played it but yeah thanks for that yeah i didn't get to it in the end i know me neither i know shame i really yeah Many things. Exactly. And more on that in a moment, but I should also remind listeners, if you enjoyed the interview with Mint Park, you can find Mint's work on Bandcamp, but the album, we mm. were going to play something from the new album, yeah. so kindly sent us the, the well, we link can. for that. We might have time for it. Yes, maybe right at the very end. Um, but that album is available on Bandcamp. Um, if you search for Mint Park, a.k.a. Baka, B-A-K-A-H, an album's called We All Come From Somewhere, I Suppose. Such a nice title. Yeah. And um, on the subject of never being able to fit everything in, <laughs> um, I promised last show that we would hear from Janneke van der Putte about mm. that. I mean, obviously, it's a question that I asked everybody. Like, what have you seen and what's your strategy? And now it sounds really repetitive, but I'm actually really curious how people manage their time. At festivals, yeah. At festivals, so let's hear from Janneke. Great. Yeah, I make first a big lunch package because the festival is so sweet to make us so stressed out and not have time to even drink some cup of tea that uh, we have to like have uh, all our weapons uh, there to be equipped for the day, you know, to survive. <laughs> but um, no, of course, we have to make choices and that's a challenge of, the, of such a festival. But to be honest, I think kind of like, you know, we, we want to slow down, right? And now no, this festival just... Stopping. Okay, good. Jumps back and in time and uh, okay, check the time it's kind of the crazy, you know, like you have amazing concert just five minutes apart and you have to be ten yeah. minutes before. Just so in that sense, I, I don't really get it. Like, have you ever yeah. been to a festival where they specifically built the experience to be different to that? Yeah. Have you been to the ideal festival in that respect? Yeah, yeah but I have to think about my own festival, sorry. <laughs> Tell us about your own festival. Yeah, man. That's really important. It was the Alordi Exchange Program in Worm, the Festival of Peruvian New Music and Arts, 2017. And the point is, like, you know, we really thought about it as a composition. So you really think how the audience comes in and what's the first act, the second act, and and um, the conference or the exhibition. Like, it's timed in a way that you think, okay, people can eat in that time and in that time because we have bodies that need to eat. And it's like... We want to go to the toilet, and now what happens in this festival is really like people going out and in, and it's kind of like chaotic in that sense. Like uh, it feels a bit too much as zapping sometimes. You know, like yeah. okay, I don't like it. I go out, and I'm sitting in the center of the film room. You know, like and I will go out, and I will also go out. And of course, you have to go out if you really can't stand it. That's really good to emancipate listener or viewer in that sense no but uh, yeah also with the discreetness and the kind of feeling of concentration sometimes go out when you have a feeling that there is a program that you have to run for things exactly so yeah. when things are so stacked upon one another people approach the approach each concert as if it's totally fine to just walk in and out and I think that as an artist I would really struggle with that 
because it completely breaks the concentration when you're yeah. seeing this constant flux of people. And it hurts me sometimes to see a lot of people leave a show. You know, like I feel, I feel really bad for the artist when there are lots of people leaving. And I think that part of that for sure is just people saying, well, I wanted to come and see it and I kind of liked it, but not enough. And that's fine. But part of it is also how things are really tightly programmed. But to be honest, Ash, I'm, I really like it when people leave my concerts because then I think the diehards stay, you know, like they can deal it, deal with it. So it's not about leaving the concert because I think that's also good because sometimes people are very like um, pretentious and just staying as if they like it, but actually they hate it. So I also think it's it's also good to be honest. So and what do people get from staying when they hate it? No, then it's better to leave, that's what I mean. But you, but know? you said that there's like some people will be pretentious enough to stay even if they don't like it. Yeah, and I but think what that's... Do you think they, what do you think they take away from that experience? What do you think they gain from... Just from their pretentiousness, like their morality of something, I don't know. What, that they feel proud that they stuck through something that they didn't Yeah, like. because it should be like that. Right. Um, but no, I, I think talking about noise is good inf interference, you know, to try to not... Um, be too moralistic about how things should be but also improvise or deal with the moment but it's it's more like thinking about a festival and you have really amazing things and and then so tied to each other is like uh, sometimes too much I don't know like it's yeah. maybe a strategy for a crowd's movements yeah, or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> like something, <laughs> something like that oh, maybe your tickets are here I don't want to hold you up because you do have to run to the film huh well, that's the point, you know, I, I really don't like to run so much, like, I like sports, but um, let's just, like, not put ourselves stressed when we, you know, like, you have this really, like, um, like, a quiet state when you're in, a, in, a, in an immersive sound experience, and then come back to the linear time, and that's the point, actually, that's the whole point with all this talk. Cut out everything. It's the switch between a non-linear time and a linear time. Yes, and that you are pulled back in this chronology of uh, being on time for your work kind of thing. I'm too late at school kind of thing, which is totally like what's in in this deep listening and in the sounds of some artists' uh, works. You also like to overcome, right? But put it in daily life, not just in the concert hall, because then it's kind of clashing and you don't really get it. <laughs> Just joined by a very sweet collie for a moment. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm like, when's your next festival? When are you next going to do this for us? Pardon? When, when will you next run the ideal festival for us? I know that's a silly question. Oh, well, I decided to not be a creative producer, so <laughs> it was just two years of my life. <laughs> that's, a, that's a loss for the rest of us. <laughs> no, that's the point. I don't think we miss anything. So it's totally go, good to go with the flow, with the festival, because you don't really miss anything in life. You know, you're always in the moment, so there's nothing else than that. So. But definitely it's nice to also have a bit of focus and, and see what's, maybe understand what you would like, prefer, a tendency. And, uh, so I, I really like focused on the, on the vocalists in this festival because that's my own uh, speciality. So yeah, that's, that's my program and uh, some films are pretty good. Janneke van der Putten, and here is one of the live tracks from Naljus Jom, 
and we'll speak to one of the two members of Nolestom directly after this.
but apparently it's just oh, I just I mean it's Norwegian, so mm. basically around the corner for us. Yeah, I, I did read that it is using traditional um, folk instruments, yeah. but I did not realize in advance that it, they were covers or versions of traditional songs. So I was wondering, like, at what point of leafing through the manuscripts in the archives did you guys decide, like, yeah, this would be absolutely slamming if we put it on electric guitar and cement? <laughs> Well, I mean, we use the instruments that we uh, we have been using and the ones we are familiar with. Uh, but even though Anders learned to play the mouth harp and also Langele, he's originally a guitar player. I'm actually originally a drummer. But then I sort of switched more and more to electronic stuff and then using synths, I yeah, found a way to kind of bend and uh, make different scales and different tonalities and be able to change between them. Uh, and Anders made like he refretted the guitar, he took out the frets and put them back in. But mainly the, the, all the source material are all uh, old recordings that we've been listening to and just kind of try to analyze and using like principles of just intonation to keep track of it. Because it would have been a different intonation in the originals? No, no. But it's like every... Uh, nearly every track has a different, slightly different tonality, let's say. And sometimes it's very personal, but then you, you can see that there are also connections and you, you see sort of scales showing up that are similar to each other in different parts of the country. Yeah. And so you do hear like uh, regional variations in these songs? Yeah, 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 for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think most of the, the most of the Norwegian folk music is originally dance music, in fact. So it's like party music or some kind of ritual, uh, weddings and that kind of stuff. And of course, later on, they, they started putting in, putting it on stage too. But then there's like this whole kind of transformation also of the music where it's been like very influenced by European sort of uh, equal temperament and you know the piano and the guitar and this kind of stuff so the music, music some of the music some of the streams of the music has become more let's say European sounding but whereas when you go back to the, the older archive recordings then you find yourself all of a sudden yeah, in like per Persia or something like that. That's what comes to mind. It's true, I, I sort of agree, a Middle Eastern kind of, yeah. And like how far back do those recordings go? Like only as far as recording technology? Yeah, I mean 30s. But yeah, some you find also good recordings from the 50s and 60s, yeah. Do I run into these tunes? Like the people play? Yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, yeah, some of them for sure. Yeah, yeah we have some friends. Uh, we're sort of slowly getting to know some of these real folk musicians because we're not, you know, we, we didn't grow up with this per se, but we we gotten to know a few people that are like deep in it and have been to, in through generations and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for in my case, I, I just got I started getting into just intonation, <laughs> like from a completely different angle, more like experimental music. And then it turns out this this one uh, theorist, uh, a folk musician, composer called Avon Groven, and he was very active already from the twenties, and he was suggesting to use just intonation in order to. Uh, capture the tonality 
of this music. So uh, he was afraid that I would get lost or, you know, that I would just kind of get mixed up with tempered music, uh, equal temperament, and then sort of disappear. So he suggested using just intonation already in the 20s. So now we're 100 years later and we're trying to take his, his advice. There's some influence now at least <laughs> from Stavanger, where we're from, which is originally not really a folk music center. But it's only if you a boat ride away or if you're an hour south or an hour north and there's like still uh, an alive uh, tradition. Not really, I just... Uh, How did you find it actually? Is this the first time you've Yeah, I did. And I, it was actually... I, I'm here for the festival, so I, I didn't prepare too much, so it's a bit of a surprise what I encounter every day. Yeah, festival magic. Yeah, definitely. So I, I was pleasantly surprised. It's, it's, it kind of made me smile the whole way. Like, it's modern, but also like ancient. And it mixes in a weird but fitting way. That made me very happy. Yeah. And it's real dance music, isn't it? Yeah, it is. My friend just said it was the most danceable music he heard all day. So there's be, be, lots of bands, but it's definitely that, dancable. Yeah. And any other highlights? Uh, what were the other acts that you, that you saw that surprised you? I saw a couple, but I, I liked uh, Ensemble Klang with Oceanic something this afternoon. Uh, it, was, it was nice. It was like ten different types of music meshed into one. <laughs> I like that but kind of stuff. Vibe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's very nice. And uh, was there a particular act that made you buy the tickets when they came out? No, actually I just bought it because I saw a rewire. Oh, I like that festival. I think I'll just see what happens on the day. So, so you're an annual rewire going? Well, not really annual. I, I check it every now and then, uh, every year. And it just happened to be today that uh, it's a nice day to go to the festival. I'm really sad I missed them. Uh, it was great and I did there were other people standing this was just at the merch table after the gig finished we rushed out and sadly me and the and the gent that I was speaking to right at the end there were both lined up ready to buy a record and um, that all sold out by the time we'd finished talking No, so we missed them <laughs> and a couple of other people standing around were saying um, well why don't um, why don't you are you going to come back are you going to play sometime soon again in the Netherlands and um, they said oh yeah yeah we could play Amsterdam and I was like um, excuse me but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it goes that yeah. would be very fun to have them here because um, that was quite a subdued track I can't remember whether that was the first one they played or the last one mm. we did make them do an encore they did finished up and we were like nah no, More. no way. We skipped <laughs> Katerina Barbieri for you guys. Come back out here. Give us another one. Oh, nice. But bless them, I think it takes a wee while because um, so the person I was speaking to plays a whole like good eight square feet of modular synths and um, wow. his bandmate is playing a few different instruments, including a langalite, which is like the, the droney 
beautiful mm. um, kind of a string zither instrument and a mouth harp and also an electric guitar and, and basically every single song they have to retune their instruments. Okay, wow. So it takes a bit of setup. So I think mm-hmm. probably when they finish a gig and leave the stage, they're like not really that happy to have to come back. <laughs> but yeah. we made them. And it was just, I can imagine with the right light up, my God, that would make the best party. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, hang on, I wanted to play um, Tisa underneath while we talk. How's oh, yeah. that? Yeah, it's nice. This was another um, part of the, well, I can't remember the program, but the Instrument Inventors yeah. Curated Program called Proximity Music. Yeah, that's it. So this was another installation in the bike um, car park. Bike, bike park. park. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, in the bike park of Amari Buildings, so he went down these stairs and like this concrete the concrete floor and loads of empty bike stands. It was um, quite spookily empty. It was quite spookily empty. And then um, there was Tisa and another vocalist who was reading text that had been generated by AI. Um, and the artist, it was Jacqueline. Yeah, I'm, f- I'm flicking through the program because it isn't Jacqueline Kwomi Gork. That's their you. name. Um, and there were speakers set out in the kind of bike park and different. <laughs> that's a nice one. <laughs> um, different. Um, yeah, the speech certain the other um, vocalists were saying were like coming out in different parts and then it was really cool because then it suddenly all went silent or like got really loud and it was you could just walk around and kind of put your body near the speaker or away from the speaker which I really enjoyed because I'm really into that kind of thing um, but yeah it was really nice there was a beautiful moment where um, Tisa seemed to actually be like chasing like walking but like following a group of visitors and they were really like trying to get away but she was um, she was trolling them. them she was trolling them, them. <laughs> maybe we can turn up and listen to her just talk for a moment yeah or, like, it's not so loud so let's see come back Tisa. maybe that's a really quiet bit what are the security challenges you would like to face and what are they because i was never willing to do this kind of questions so basically, you are talking about how to do a security system, which is about what the government is doing. Not about how... It's kind of cool how you can hear like, the echo. I mean, when I was in there, that's basically all I could hear. Mm. Unless I was very close to, to the performer. Um, the piece is called The Input of This Machine is the Power and Output Contains, and it's described as a durational performance investigating public speech. So the people who were performing this, Tisa included, were reciting mm. from memory an AI-generated text that had been created with machine learning systems um, that were trained on political speeches. Wow. So acoustically it was hard to make sense of, but even when you hear it up close, it's still really difficult to make sense yeah. of. yeah. Um, but the the thing that surprised me is like the whole place is completely brightly lit, mm. so it's empty and it feels very new because Amara is such a new venue. Mm. But it's also this bright white concrete and very well lit, but still like kind of indecipherable as a space. Yeah, bit spooky. Yeah, I kind of like the muddiness. It was like, what what are they making you hear? Which maybe mm. is, could have been an intentional aspect. I found that interesting how the Proximity Music Programme was positioned in Amari. Like, it was really cool spaces. Like, Kexham was just on a level. So when you walked into that side of the building, you could just hear this, like, music. And it was on, like, a few times a day, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then this one was in the bike park. Then there was, like, the 
Cafe Matthews bike that was outside, then there's one in like another room. It was just really nice that you had things to discover and things were easy accessible to find as yeah. well, which I thought was really good. Totally. What next? Um, I've got a little surprise for you, dear Ash. Yeah, something that I've been cooking up as we've been sitting here. I'm worried. No, no. It's <laughs> if an, it's anything as good as the photo I have of you that I haven't oh shown you. <laughs> so Ash had a sorry listeners. <laughs> Ash, Ash had a camera at the festival, uh, like a, a, a film camera, and um, the moment that we were just about to interview Lisa in the fix, and Ash decided to take a photo of me from her the other side of the table and at that exact moment a fly or a bee flew into my face and I'm like reacting in like f- fear I'm allergic to wasp and bees so also it was a bit like fuck I don't want to get sp- stung and then Ash just snapped me that exact point and I was like oh my god what <laughs> sorry I didn't actually realize you were allergic well, I mean how would you know it's just something flew in my face I didn't even know that I d- might not have even been a bee you made a great face but the only thing better than that was the follow-up picture where you were oh. looking at me with absolute loathing <laughs> It's going to make a great gift. I can't wait. Um, I'll put a link to it on the mix cloud. (laughs) No. Um, Well, depending what it is. Um, This is an ode to Meredith. It's a little bit of fun, but I really like doing sound collages. And when I was listening back to um, her perform, like the cellular songs and the games, like in between she spoke quite a bit of introducing the next piece or kind of a bit about the process. So I just took a few little words or like life mantras or just things it's not very long I mean yeah I'm not gonna bring it down it's really great here we go we're gonna go okay (laughs) exciting so suspicious it has absolutely nothing to do with me (laughs) (laughs) i know i did say it was meredith but you didn't trust me i thought well there was a lot of um shout out to nilu of course who since then we've been quoting meredith on a daily basis oh nice um on her one of the one of the early songs no it was the it was the what's the word when you do another song after you finish the encore is the encore for cellular uh, songs where she was singing, "Oh, I'm a sassy woman, I'm a sassy woman," and so now f- for everything, we're we're that woman and I, we sing it all the time. Well, I can't wait to hear that. Um, hey, I've got a really beautiful extended track of Mabe Frati's to play, and I know oh, that nice. you also have um, a very special piece of Caterina Barbieri, which yeah. I'm excited to hear because I'd missed that one. 
Um, Let's play Mabe and then say goodbye and then end with Katerina because that's also the festival ended. That's great. And for our live listeners, thanks for tuning in to this extra special Radio Worm Goes to Rewire Part 2 with Chola and Ash. Yeah. Out to Anna Kolba, a.k.a. Boxes Bitch, whose show is next. I couldn't even say bitch just then. Boxes <laughs> Bitch is the name of Anna's radio persona and she would usually be starting in four minutes but she's giving us a little bit of extra time like the end of an In Our Time podcast where you get to hear us <laughs> ramble on about the stuff that we couldn't fit in before. Here's Mabe Frati. We'll be back with you soon.
just saying off mic, just beginning to say off mic how incredible this show was, Mabe Frate and her three-piece band. And I got there just on time to see them start. I thought I was oh, they got the time wrong. And I ran into the theatre and it was completely full. Um, and they started and it was just so beautiful. It was the first time in the entire festival, the Sunday afternoon, when I actually forgot where I was and what I was doing and completely slipped into the mode of listening. And it was quite sublime, as you can hear in the background. So nice. But tell me, Chola. Yes, Ash. What is <laughs> next? Because this was the very first of Radio Worm Goes To mm-hmm. as a series, but there are a couple more coming up and you're going to be doing one of them. Yes, I'm going to be going to O Festival, which is the opera festival here in Rotterdam. Um, and that's happening, I think, from the 20th to the 29th of May, if I remember the... Yes. Wow. Memory is good for numbers. Yep, 20th to the 29th of May. Um, and alongside Tisa, a fellow who we mentioned before, but we're going to be tag-teaming to go to that one, which I'm very excited about. I've never been. I'm also going to be performing at it on the 22nd with a group called Sonic Witch Cry at one, <gasps> which is also really fun. All right. Can we get a bootleg recording of that to play on the air, please? Yes, we can. Cool. And also they're going to come chat on air. Super Other nice. members, yeah. Really All nice. right. What uh, about you? What are you, what are you ne- going to next? Well, I'm not going to be here for opera festival for the O Festival or for Art Rotterdam mm. which is going to be the that's the other upcoming episode event to be covered by Radio Worm Goes 2 and that will be Golubiovite and Andriana Mutula both of who have a show they alternate on Wednesdays from mm. to one I think is their spot and they're doing a project called Languaging and they're going to be doing a live presentation as their report out in oh, the nice. foyer so it will be Radio Worm goes to slash Expanded Radio great um, that's can't remember, really fun can't remember the date off the top of my head but so the 19th oh the 19th to 22nd is the best of is Art Rotterdam okay so during those days sweet yeah, I also really want to go to Lenta Cabinet, which is happening outside Amsterdam on the 4th and 5th of June. Tell me what it is and why you want to go. It's a more like techno DJ festival, but it just... I, a friend told me about it and it sounded really good. And then I actually heard someone as part of Motel Mosaic Festival last night, um, Discurman, this incredible atworm. Mm. They were playing and it was like... He's a DJ and they're playing music, and it was all different genres mashed together. And I had so much fun dancing, as I was saying earlier. And I just, I mean, now I just saw he's on the lineup, so I'm like, I want to go again to see them. Right. Mm-hmm. But we'll nice. see if I can, I don't know, I think it's sold out, so maybe I have to look on ticket swap or something. See what you can do. Yeah, see what I wangle. I'm quite excited if I can get there in September in Erpe in Belgium, the German speaking part of Belgium, <gasps> is uh, Mea Kuzma. Nilu was telling me about this festival yesterday. Now, this is the festival that Nilu and Linus have. I, I, this is like a famous festival to me because of just the two of them. Ah. And we checked out the lineup last week, and it was like, on the one hand, low key, but everybody is low key brilliant. And it's one of the camping ones. You know, you go there and you camp and yeah. you stay for a few days. So, okay, nice. Anyone's going, hit me up so we can hang out and we'll see if we can do a Radio Worm Goes 2 at Mea Kuzma. First international, maybe? Could be. Wow. 
I'm, I'm going to Glastonbury in the UK, which oh, is also a camping stop. festival. I know. I'm, that's end of June, and I'm really excited. Oh. Obviously, for the last few years, it hasn't been able to happen. Um, then it's, I think, their 50th anniversary, so it's also like that, been, that has been postponed. Wow. And is there a lineup out already? Yeah. I do live I mean, not a rock. Com- not complete, but like the headliners of each day. Um, oh, maybe who's. I think. No, I think Diana Ross might be performing Stop on the Sunday. It. I know. Stop it. And then I'm singing with Deep Work Choir, so we're performing as well on the Ow. Sunday. Yeah. Cute. So it's very exciting, but I'm, I think it's going to be good weather because I think the summer's supposed to be incredibly hot in Europe. Um, so I don't, but normally Glastonbury is like. Bring it, your wellies. Bring your wellies. Like people are like rolling around the mud. It, people like embrace it, but it can be. I've been a few times and it, it's better when it doesn't rain. <laughs> praying to the weather weather gods yeah for you and diana <laughs> and Ms. Ross, the boss the boss the absolute queen oh yeah i'm excited how amazing all right well this has been a really nice part to wrap up yeah thank you yeah thank you and thank you for everyone who's made it possible from wire and um, rewire it's been great yeah see you again there next year mm-hmm. and till then after this little bit more of Mabe we have the final wrap up piece from you yeah and that's um, Katerina Katerina Barbieri who performed on the Sunday evening in Amare in the big concert hall and it was beautiful and there was a lot of synthesised and amazing lights but in the middle of her set there was also um, a moment when four voices came on and did oh. some singing and I've chosen to play that a little bit of that for you all wonderful let's hear it yeah Sorry, turn the mic down too soon. So just bye, everyone. Bye.
Did you and see then, someone that you I think texting? so. I think so. I'm not sure. Do you need to move to a different part of the room? I don't know. I don't know whether we should go further. We're close. <laughs> but I do know I don't want to stand here. Okay, let's move.